Mind Your Mentals podcast is meant to help you name, identify, and understand the disorders that are prevalent in our society. We also strive to help you to understand the science behind the disorders and also understand what it may mean for you, your life, and your loved ones. The concept of mental health is way too broad and ambiguous, and so Mind Your Mentals podcast is here to help you demystify, untangle, and overall just simplify the entire process. Mental health is far from an easy topic, but yo, trust us, we got you. So make sure that you tune in every other Sunday to go on a new journey with Tim, Mal, and their featured guests. Yo, check it. This is the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. Tune in, check in, subscribe, but mostly Mind Your Mentals. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. Excited, as always, to connect with the homie Tim uh, this time around. So continuing our conversation around grief and loss, excited today to bring in my sister, Jean Gaines, who is going to speak about her own process in regards to uh, grieving her mother. And just, you know, we'll talk about, you know, how that's looked in her life. Uh, and the funny part, or not even funny, but ironic part is today is the anniversary of my grandmother passing away. And so, you know, to be talking about this again on this day uh, really resonates with me. And so looking forward to diving into this topic and looking forward to diving into this conversation. Tim, how you doing today, man? How's your Sunday going? It's good so far. It's good so far. We had a daylight savings time today, so I'm a little little messed up from it but i'm good man i'm good i'm glad glad to be here um doing another episode another important topic as we continue to talk about these topics and how it affects you know us as, as black folks in our community um so i'm just glad we're spending a little bit more time on this topic today for sure yeah daylight savings got me it went from two o'clock to three o'clock or one o'clock to three o'clock and i'm just like oh i gotta go to sleep uh and so it got me it tripped me up uh jean how you doing today how you feeling I'm all right. You know, it's uh, still a little early for you, girl, because typically on a Sunday, I'm still <laughs> not awake. But, you know, <laughs> I like to sleep on Sundays. <laughs> but it's cool, though. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging. I'm here. Yo, appreciate you joining us. You know, the Lord rested on Sunday. We should all be resting on Sunday, man. Exactly. Um, At least I had breakfast, so I'm good. As long as I ate some breakfast, we okay. Because if I didn't eat breakfast, it was going to be a little bit of a problem. <laughs> she was gonna be, she was gonna be hangry in the morning. Exactly. Um, I, don't, I don't want y'all to see that side, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you joining this. Happy to have you on, yo. Um, knowing knowing Jean, man, two thirds of my life. So I'm excited to to dig into the topic today uh, with somebody that I, I know really well personally and professionally. And so you know, like I said, we're continuing our conversation about grief and loss, and we want to focus on the grieving and mourning cycle. You know, in the last session, we talked about the five stages of loss, according to psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, which we acknowledged are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And so, Tim, you had, um, you wanted to go a little bit deeper with this. So I want to go ahead and turn it over to you. Yeah, yeah. And a couple of couple of points I wanted to, you know, remind us about that the um the Cooper Ross's stages is that, you know, they're not so linear. Yeah, and how you experience them. Uh you can experience depression before bargaining. You know, there's no uh set process, right? How we experience loss and, and grief is is personal and to our own um 
you know, existence, existence. So I wanted to start there by seeing that. But um, there's another process or uh, another model that that has been aligned with the grieving process, and that's the task of mourning by uh, J. William Warden, who's a uh, psychologist. Uh, he wrote the book um, Grief Counseling and Grief Therapy back in the back in the mid '80s, but he's since uh, wrote four or five versions, uh, four or five editions. Um, but the 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 foundational for uh, task of mourning processes. Uh, number one, accepting the loss, right? So the first thing to do is acceptance, which is awareness. So when you accept something, that means you can't, you know, you're not denying, right? So denial, uh, you know, when we experience loss, sometimes denial is sometimes the first thing we go to because it's comforting to not acknowledge something that's so hurtful. So if I'm denying the loss, if I'm not acknowledging it, I'm trying to save myself, right? So it's a, it's a protective factor you know, in the sense where I'm trying to save myself from the heavy emotions of grieving of that loss. So um, one of this is like uh, acceptance. When you move to acceptance, though, your mourning is the process of remembering, memorializing, and laying the loved one to rest. So when you accept that, this has happened. Now you start this kind of transition of just acknowledging that this situation has happened, that that the loved one that you have has has um, gone on. And so um, the bereavement activity uh, about the loss to which one is trying to adapt uh, means healing a broken heart, right? So when you accept, then you start moving towards healing, which is really the priority in all of this. It's just healing, uh, remembrance, but also starting to move, uh, not move on, but move forward. Acknowledging the pain of loss is uh, pouring out your grief. So acknowledging the pain, right? So you have this cup full of grief that you're feeling. You have all of these emotions. And rather than holding on to them, now we start to really pour it out. Now we start to really release. That's the word that comes to mind when I think of like acknowledging, right? Releasing all of that those strong emotions, releasing that pain, the hurt, the, uh, the, the, the space. When you think about losing somebody, there's a space now that's, that's been created where that person once was. So now I'm acknowledging that space is there that sometimes, sometimes people call it a hole in your heart, right? You feel a big hole in the, that person's not there anymore. Um, and, it, and if these things that I'm speaking of are, are you know, contrary or trigger anything, I just want to acknowledge that um, and, and just, you know, just tell you to breathe. You know, if, if you're if we're talking and these things are bringing some 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 really pointed points up for you, just breathe through it. But uh, this is the process. You know, this is why it's important to talk about these things, because historically we know. We like to ignore certain things in our community. We like to put it off. We like we not we don't like to talk about some things that are really strong. So that's why we really wanted to acknowledge this this topic. Um, the third step uh, is adjusting to a new environment. So now that hole has been filled by the loss of your loved one, right? Um, and taking on a new task or role that has been given uh, left by loved one. So one of the things I think of is like. If a, like you're your elder, right? So we have our elders, our elders, there's certain traditions that our elders pass on to us, right? So there's certain things, whether it's Sunday dinner, 
um, whether it's, you know, some type of charitable uh, thing we start in their name. Um, uh, I can't think of any more. Mal, Mal quick, what are some, some traditions or some things that, let's say your grandma used to do that, you remember that you find that you're still doing to this day? So not still doing specifically, but I used to go to soup kitchens quite frequently with my grandmother. And so that kind of led me to give it more to like houseless people. So giving money to folks, giving food to folks. Um, you know, I, I've also heard from like a traditional standpoint, like people meeting up on the day of mm -hmm. the person passing away on their birthday, having some sort of celebration or like uh, remembrance. So like, there's a lot of things that people do. Um, and one of my goals is to actually set up a, um, a scholarship foundation for young black girls in the name of my grandmother, just to, as like a remembrance. And so, yeah, when you said the scholarships are like giving back, like that definitely resonated with me. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, um, you know, doing things like that, making sure that, you know, through our actions that our loved one is not forgotten, right? So our loved one's not here, but our loved one lives on through us. So whatever that looks like, right? Set up a scholarship fund, um, certain, like I said, certain traditions that grandma or, or dad or mom used to do. Um, one of the things that, you know, um, comes to mind with me, um, I have a, uh, my aunt, my aunt used to, uh, you know, her, her, something that was really important was making up the bed in the morning, right? Before we got ready to go to school, making sure we're clean, making sure we, uh, my aunt passed uh, about two years ago now, a year, I think uh, a year ago, my aunt passed in 2021, October, um, sorry, 2020. Um, but just like the certain traditions that I was taught that carry on today is directly because of her. You know, what I mean, that there's no other way that I would have been doing that thing if it wasn't for her raising me and instilling that in me. So that's what I mean by like carrying on, right? Adjusting to that new environment. The new environment is that my loved one's not here, but I still engage with my loved one through these activities, through remembering, through these, tra these traditions that my loved one had taught me or I experienced with my loved one, right? So there's certain folks who, um, for example, a, season, a, 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 a lifetime or season baseball or football ticket holder, you know what I mean? Still going to the game, still buying that seat for that person needs to go with all the time, you know what I mean? And remembrance of that person, right? Still still holding that tradition that um, used to happen when, when you were growing up with that loved one. So those are different examples of like taking that mantle on, but also creating that new environment where that loved one is there with you still in memory. And then the, um, the, last, the last task is a finding enduring connection with the deceased in the midst of embarking on a new life. So like gradually creating balance between remembering the person who passed and living a full and meaningful life, right? So within that third step, you, you started this tradition, right? That tradition is not in a sense, a sense of grieving, but it's in a sense of creating this new um, approach to life. And so now you've now taken up a mantle or added, adding something to, to your life that you maybe had not done before in, in memories of that person. You're creating now new traditions and you're creating that kind of follow through of, a, um, of an activity, a, 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 a thing that you used to do all the time. You're now being that person who teaches that to the next generation.
right? Or you're now picking up a new uh, endeavor, like you talk about creating a scholarship, folks create foundations in, in the memory of their loved ones. So now this is something that's new to you. You have a new meaning, uh, a additional meaning on life that has been presented by the, the loss of this loved one. And you try to remember them in that positive light. And so um, I, I think these are really, really uh, important steps that we can take in the grieving process because it, it's an acknowledgement, but it's also a moving forward component to it that's really important for us so we don't get stuck in that grief and get stuck in that sadness and, and the depression of, of, of losing people you love. So I just wanted to just set that as the foundation, uh, the second component of the foundation as we continue this conversation. So. You know, thanks for that, Mal. Yeah, and number four, I found really interesting with this, like, the enduring connection. And so, like, the balance between continuing to live your life, but also remembering the person that has passed away or the people that have passed away. Like, I feel like that's such an important piece. And, you know, I talked about in the last episode for me, when my grandmother died, my life came to like a dead stop, right? And like it dead stopped for like six years. And then all of a sudden I wake up and everybody's moved forward. But I've, I've been in this same sort of mental, social, emotional place. And other people that I've talked to, and maybe John, you could talk to this a little bit too. It's like, that's happened to so many people, right? And like, you know, the big hurdle is finding a way to be able to continue to live your life, but also remember and respect the people, person that has gone on a transition on. And so, you know, so I would love to hear, you know, how you were even able to, or if you have been able to like find that balance for yourself. Sure, I mean, um, you know, Malcolm, I lost my mom when I was uh, 19. So um, yeah. I was in college. Uh, at the time, I was a sophomore in college. So one of the things that um, my mom always instilled, my mom was from the South. So, you know, a lot of you that may not know when you're from Louisiana, you kind of already believe in terms of death and understanding that, you know, death is like a celebration, no matter how bad the death occurred. We still believe in like celebrating like the legacy and stuff. Um, so one of the things that my mom always instilled was that, you know, she'll go on, but she will want all her kids to go on, anybody in her family, you know, to go on and move, but to still just kind of pay homage to her um, at the end of the day. And that was kind of like reiterated from when I was a little kid. So, you know, when she did pass or whatever, that stuff was already like embedded. So it wasn't anything, you know, new for me because, you know, my mom always talked about death, you know, yeah. when you're from the South and stuff like that, that's just what they do. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, um, but when when it did happen, you know, it was more like a, sh sh you know, like a slap in the face because you're like, wow, she really did pass, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and in my mom's case, you know, she was critically ill, so that's why she passed. But, um, you know, knowing the, the legacy and how she raised me, you know, just made me realize like, yeah, my life still can go on. Um, when she did pass when I was in college, I literally took about a month break. Um, from college. And then I went right back and I still graduated from college on time. Yeah. So, you know, doing something like that, you know, made me realize where it's like your life still can go on. Your loved one would still want you to live your life, um, you, you know, and be productive. Now, mind you, was it hard? Yes. Because when you're 19 years old, you're not fully grown. 
you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not a full like adult, you know, you may be a, an adult to that age, like, yeah, you're 19, but you know, you're, you're traveling like this different type of road. And when you lose like a parent, the game changes completely. Um, you know, for me, when I lost my mom, it was like the journey to womanhood was going to be different because it's like, you're, you're kind of traveling that alone, you mm. know, to a certain degree. Um, did I have family and friends? Absolutely. Right. But there's still this road that you have to travel because nobody knows what it's like being in your shoes when you have to grieve a parent, you know, and typically, you know, you'll hear a lot of older people saying, I'm supposed to you know, I'm not supposed to be burying my kids and all this other stuff is supposed to be burying me. But, you know, when you're 19 years old, you never realize like, dang, I got to bury my mom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a, it's a shock. It's a slap in the face. Um, you know, but one of the things I always made sure, you know, that I did, and I still do it, um, you know, to this day, whenever it's her birthday, I still go to her, her grave site um, and pay my respects new years around like new years i'll still go and pay my respects christmas thanksgiving i usually you know still do that um when i was in college at the time uh when she passed away because it was like i got hit real hard um when she passed i had a professor that didn't allow me to come back because i was a month late even though i explained to my professor you know my mom passed we had letters and everything else um it it made the grieving process even more difficult because you have somebody that's like creating this unnecessary barrier. And, you know, sometimes when you're grieving, you kind of see outside factors of people that can be so negative, right? And can affect your grieving process even more, right? Because I'm, I'm one of those individuals where I just handle my business. I may be hurting, but I still do what I got to do. But when you have like those negative people where it's like, no, John shouldn't come back. That's not fair to the rest of the class, even though you just lost a parent. It's like, man, then you start seeing some of those stages, right? That we were talking about a grief, like the anger. Cause it's like, yo man, I just lost my freaking mom here. And I'm trying to go back to school and get my education. Cause I know deep down her spirit's like, you don't get this education, I'm whooping your ass. <laughs> you know, cause that's how my mom was. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, it's, it's a tough thing. You know, it really is about, you know having a balance and just kind of, you know understanding like what you honestly believe in because you have some people that, you know, believe in the life after death. You have some people that, you know, believe that once that person passes, that's it. There is no spirit. There's no angels. You, you know what I mean? So it's really about you just kind of understanding like your spirituality at the same time, uh, you know, to me when you have to deal with the loss of someone. And, um, you know, I'm thankful that, you know, my mom always instilled spirituality, you know, with myself, my brother and my dad, same thing. They always instilled all that. So, you know, when it came time to bury her and, you know, have all that stuff, the, the level of spirituality was right there, you, you know, and I still continue to do those things because it gives me comfort, um, you know, visiting her and I, you know, not just for the holidays and everything, at least maybe once, twice a month, I still go see her just to shoot the breeze, you, you know what I'm saying? And sometimes the things that I do, you know, my mom liked, uh, Bacardi or whatever. So sometimes I would just pour a little bit of Bacardi on the ground, you know, and just kind of pay my respects and pour a little bit of uh, 
Heineken because she used to drink a little bit of Heineken here and there, not a heavy drinker or nothing, but, you, you know, pour a little bit and just kind of shoot the breeze like how I would normally do with my mom anyway. You, you know, so it's just about remembering some of those positive things and those type of conversations that you would normally have with your loved one and just trying to integrate it some way, somehow. It's not 100% perfect. No, you're not going to necessarily hear their voice come back, right? right? But it still gives you like a level of comfort. And that's what I always do. Yeah, definitely. And so what has your process been in dealing with the loss of your mom? So you talked about like, you know, and I know personally that you spend a lot of time going to see her and chopping it up with her and just showing that respect. But yeah, what has your process been? Because I mean, you know, you're no longer 19, right? Like you, you've had time and there's been time that's elapsed between her passing away and today. And so mm -hmm. what has that process been for you? How have you been able to like evolve in your understanding of, of losing your mom? One of the things that um, my dad made me do or, or whatever was to do therapy. Um, when I was 19 and I fought it, I fought it, I fought it. I was like, no, I don't need it. Da, 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 da. You know, I'm fine. Um, but, you know, believe it or not, you know, even when I did do the therapy, you know, when she passed away, you know, it did give me a peace of mind and, and some of the tools, uh, you know, that was given to me, I still use to this day, you know, um, a lot of things that I continuously do is, you know, just look at what grief looks like you know, for people, because, you know, things change, you, you know, and, and grief looks different, you, you know, to everybody. Um, I do a lot of journaling. Um, that's uh, very therapeutic for me, where I can feel like it's an outlet, I can express myself. Um, you know, having, having friends that understand you, um, and having support, you know, I think is, a, is, is a beneficial thing, you know, I can, you know, Malcolm, you know, I'll be like, yeah, man, this is January's a rough month, brother. You, you know what I'm saying? I can, you know, vent that. And I know that I would have support. I think support is also, you know, important. And you may have those friends that may not understand what it's like to lose a parent, right? But they can still support you by saying, hey, John, let me take you out to dinner real quick. I know that'll bring your spirits up or yo, whatever you need, I'm here for you. Those things are important. You know, having like a connection and, you know, having some sort of network you know, it is important because sometimes when, you know, it's the an anniversary of a loved one or, you know, it's the a, a birthday of a loved one, sometimes that's when you will see, you know, people get very depressed because it's like, damn, I wish I could have celebrated, you know, with them. I wish they were really here. And sometimes I still have those moments at 36 and I, it's been 17 years since I lost my mom. So, you know, you still have those moments. And what I learned, you know, over time is that it's okay to have those moments. We don't have to always bottle it up or always try to be like the tough person. It's okay to, to cry. It's okay to miss them. It's okay to not be okay, you know? But I also realized that it's okay to think about all the positive memories. Think, you know, look at photos. I always still look at photos and it makes me think back you know, to some of those good times where I'm laughing and I'm like, oh my God, or, you know, I'll, I'll call my dad. I'll be like, oh dad, you remember da 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 you, you know, so just having that sense and, and being able to kind of communicate it because I think sometimes with, with our people of color, uh, when it comes to death and, and losing people, it's more like, okay, it's the year anniversary. Let's pop some bottles, let's celebrate. But it's like, why can't you celebrate year round and pay homage to your loved ones all throughout the year? You know, it doesn't have to just be on their anniversary or just be on their birthday. Those are important, sure. 
but do it all across the board. If that's what brings you peace and comfort, do it across the board. Sometimes people go in support groups. I know I was in like a, a support group, you know, a long time ago, they have it like on Facebook in terms of like how to deal with like losing a parent, you know, especially if you were the child that was technically like a caregiver um, to your parent. And I, I can relate to that because I had to take care of my mom when she was critically ill, right? So, you know, even doing support groups, you know, I felt that was beneficial because then you don't feel alone. You don't feel like you're the only one. So, John, um, thank you for that. Um, uh, great, great insight, great advice as far as like, you know, just how you have gone through um, the grieving process. One of the things you said that I wanted to bring back was this idea of others within your process, right? So you had this professor who um, didn't have that empathetic uh, response that you would assume, <laughs> that you would assume someone would have knowing that a person has lost their loved one. Um, so I wanted, but I, I, I bring that up because I want to highlight that others in the process can be very critical, right? So you have somebody in that, in that instance, how I conceptualized that was that person didn't have empathy. So that person, it essentially was unintentionally trying to speed up your process of grief, right? Not even knowing unintentionally. So the fact that I'm not acknowledging that you lost somebody very close to you, your mom, and saying, well, you're still responsible for this other life thing, it shows that I'm disengaged from connecting with you. And so you still have a responsibility towards other components of life, right? Right. It, it was more on the lines on the, the coldness, right? She yeah. was very yeah. cold. I, I remember like it was yesterday yeah. um, because she was like, it's not fair to the class that you get to come a month late. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time I was, you know, majoring in education at the time. So it was an education class or whatever. And because I was a month late, you know, they were getting ready to do midterms. You, you know, and stuff. And, you know, you were a couple chapters behind all this other stuff, even though we had documentation. I even had notes from the dean. You, you know what I mean? So it's mm -hmm. like, why are you still being so cold right. knowing that I got all this documentation saying it's okay for Jean to come back? Yeah. You, you yeah. know, with no problem. You, like, you know, and what difference the, the does sad it make? thing was like you had, you know, other, I don't want to use the word kids, but you, you had other college people that were in my class that knew me. They're like, yo, let Jean back in. What's the problem? Right. But you want to be cold. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, like I said, that that a part of that grief was anger because it's like, yo, man, I'm already dealing with enough. Not yeah. having this woman in my life anymore, still trying to move on. Right. And get my education because that's what she embedded in me. My parents believe like you're going to college, you're doing something. Right. So it's like I'm already putting that natural pressure on myself to succeed. So why are you trying to break my success? Yeah. You, you understand what I'm saying? So it, yeah. it was rough and unfortunately, and I'm not trying to come off any type of way, but that teacher was white right. and she was older. Mm. So it's like, so you really don't understand. You really want to be that cold. Yeah. And it's like, people do have, you know, their issues and whatever. And I understand that, you know, we have responsibilities to do classwork and all this other stuff, but you were just not even allowing me to try to make it up. You didn't even give me a chance. Like, you know, it was, it was tough. It, it was, it was tough. And it was like, you know, to a certain degree, I was like, you know, I, I want to, I want to quit. But a part of me was like, nah, we're not going to let this happen. You know? And that's when I thought back in my head, what would your mom do? 
And one of the things that she always prided herself on was to be this strong black woman and not take anybody's garbage from anybody. And Malcolm can contest because he knew who my mom was. <laughs> little, little short 411 thing with a mouth, potty mouth galore. Um, you, you know, so that made me realize it's like, yo, you gotta fight. You gotta fight for this because you know that you are worthy and you deserve to get your education just like anybody else. And so, John, thank you for that. Cause I think those things are important. Um, again, talking about that empathy, um, but also on the other, on the flip side, like when you're, when you're grieving others who don't know necessarily how to grieve with you can, can slow your grieving process down. Right. Sure. So some, somebody who is, you know, trying to be supportive, just kind of really slow it down when you're, you know, really not trying to understand where you are. Right. So if I'm a person who's grieving and let's say I'm, I'm I could be avoiding. Right. It could be a potential of avoiding, but my grieving process could look different. Right. So my mourning may look like me, um, you know, after the fact, really taking care of the business of setting up foundations, you know, trying to do m memorial things, right? Maybe not necessarily having the emotional response of grieving, but then somebody else looking at me like I'm not grieving, right? So instead of asking me and, and being empathetic towards where I am and paying attention where I am in the process is, is really important too. Because again, some folks might uh, really might slow your, your grieving process down. Right. So it's important to understand that if we're supporting others who are grieving, that we really align and understand where they are and not make any assumptions where they are within their grieving process. I think that's really important. Just wanted to, to put that point out there. But uh, you know. I, I definitely agree. And I think it's also important that even if you have a friend and you don't know how to be there for them right in their time of need. They can just be like, hey. You tell me how I can be a support to you. Exactly. Exactly. Because people aren't going to know. And, and, and believe it or not, sometimes people say the wrong things exactly. that can trigger even more. Like I never forget sometimes, you know, I would hear like, wow, Jean, you're a trooper. You're a trooper. I don't know how I'd be if I lost my mom. Like, why would you want to say stuff mm -hmm. like that? Like to me, that's disrespectful because at the end of the day, everybody dies. Mm -hmm. It's just sometimes people die a little sooner than others. Mm hmm. Second question I have for you is like, you talked a little bit about um, going through life at 19 without, I, I, I received it as this guide to life of being a woman, right? So like, there's certain things that came up at 19, 2021 that, you know, there is an assumed expectation that mom was going to be there to help you through those times, right? You talked about losing that support and that guide. So what are some things that, um, as far as you remembering some, some of the, the foundations, the characteristics, the values that mom instilled in you that helped you through that time, even though she wasn't physically there, what are some moments you can remember where those things kicked in during a, a stressful time or decision-making time? I would say like uh, utilizing the village. One thing that my family always prided themselves on is, you know, if there's things that they don't know, they're always going to have somebody around that will know it. Mm. So just utilizing like that family, that, that whole village. So, you know, because my mom was from the South and she always rep the South for forever, ever, even though she came up here when she was 16, 17, you know, Southern roots was just always there. Right. So, you know, having my aunts down South and having the accessibility to call them whenever I needed to, or sometimes just being able to take a flight 
you know, down there, you know, gave me that comfort, right? Gave me that, you know, thing where it's like, everything's okay. And also hearing from them, how much of a great woman my mom was, you know, that, that brings comfort or hearing stories in terms of what my mom was like when she was 16 or 17, things like that, that brings comfort. And also it, it brings more strength because you're seeing like, okay, this is how she came up and this is why she was the woman that she was. And so you mentioned anger being like one of the initial responses, probably just in general, right? Cause like, you know, it's probably frustrating to lose a parent at that time, you know, and I know the relationship, like you mentioned that you and your mom had. And so you mentioned anger specifically with like your professor in college, but how did you manage the strong emotions that, you know, were related at the time and still are related to grieving your mom or grieving, you know, any loved one really? You know, like, like I said, you know, anger was a strong one, but also like for me, and it depends, you know, everybody's different, you know, with their grief, right, or how they handle it. I always had an acceptance. I never not, you know, I was never not peaceful in terms of her death. It was just more like, damn, <laughs> like, yeah. it was more like that. I always accepted the fact that she passed away. I accepted the fact that she had, you know, a lot of medical issues and she was critically ill, right? So I accepted that I was at peace because to me, she was in a better place. She wasn't suffering anymore. Right. You know, and I always say that and keep that in the back of my mind, because a lot of people be like, are you mad that she's gone? No, I'm not mad that she's gone. I'm actually thankful that I had her for 19 years yeah. because some people. They don't even have their parent that long. some people, yeah. you know, you'll a, a mommy will pop out a baby and then die. So then the baby right. will never see what their mom is. Right. So it's like I count my blessings and I I I'm grateful. Yeah. And who wouldn't want more time with the loved one, right? Yeah. Whether it's mom, dad, cousin, brother, whoever, right? But it's just accepting the fact that, you know, for some people that, you know, were critically ill or have cancer or any of those type of things, those type of things happen. It's nobody's yeah. fault. They fought a good fight. And that's how I saw it with my mom. Absolutely. You know? And so, you know, would you be willing to share some positive memories that you have of your mom? You know, oh, what yeah. you um, reflect about her? Yeah, I mean, one of them, it was really, really funny. And this was when I was in college, my freshman year. <laughs> oh, God, I still laugh to this day with it. I had, you know, freshman year, you know, you have roommates, you know, you're trying to get acclimated. It's a scary time, you know. So I had this roommate or whatever, and she hated me. She hmm. hated me for some reason. I'm like, I, I'm all scared. I'm like, I don't even know what to do. I didn't know it's okay to invite boys in your dorm room. Like it was, you know, that's how young you are at that time, right? Like you don't know what your freedom and your responsibilities are, you know, coming around, right? Like you thought you were cool being able to stay up until three o'clock in the morning without your parents saying something. <laughs> you, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, you're you're walking out all around at two, three o'clock in the morning at like 18, 19 years old. You're like, wow, I don't have no responsibility. Nobody gets to tell me to do anything. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> So, you know, I was having a hard time with this roommate, you know, I was trying to, you know, be smooth about it and not tell, you know, my mom or my dad about it. I tried to talk to my RA, you know, basically she always had like these people over um, in the dorm room and they were very shady. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I got to watch my stuff, you know, very jealous, you know, cause I, I came with 
brand new stuff. My brother and my dad helped me bring all my stuff in. So, you know, I'm looking fresh. And unfortunately, you know, some of her stuff was a little tattered, rowdy. You know how it goes. And unfortunately, women, women are very jealous. Okay. So she saw that she had like people just like sitting on my bed, just, just, just disrespectful. I'm like, no, I just came from class. You got people sitting on my bed, bro. Like, you ain't even asked. You got people sitting on my desk. Like, what's going on? So I, I was angry. I didn't spaz out or anything. I ended up just going to the library or, or whatever. And, you know, my mom called me and she knew something was up or whatever. And she was like, she was like, you don't sound good. She was like, who did it? And I was like, what do you mean who did? It? I was like, I'm fine. I was like, it was just a bad day or, or whatever. She was like, it wasn't a bad day. Something happened. And my mom cursed a lot. She was like, stop fucking lying to me. What happened or, or whatever. So then like I broke down and cried. I was like, mom, all these people are in my room. I can't have my space, da, 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 da. The next morning, my mom came down to Jersey City. I will never forget this. Mm. Jersey City, little oxygen tank and all, because my mom was on oxygen 24 seven. Oxygen and all, and my dad called me. He was like, no, your mother's driving to Jersey City. I tried to stop her. I was gonna come down instead. <laughs> and she wasn't listening, <laughs> whatever, whatever. So she came in guns blazing. Or, or whatever, trying to find this girl. She wasn't in the room. I was like, Ma, I think she's in class. She was like, that's all right. She was like, I'm gonna wait until she come back or, or whatever. And my mom literally waited until this woman came back. And she was like, what are you doing to my child? She was like, I don't like you look stank anyway. Leave my child alone. <laughs> See, my mom was one of those. And Malcolm can contest to this. <laughs> I was one of those. So, you know, then my mom went to the director of residential services at that time. And she was like, I want my daughter out of that room or whatever. And they were making excuses. They're like, oh, you know, this stuff happens where they don't get along. My mom went off. <laughs> like it was, I was like, mom, no, no, this is really embarrassing. You're having your mom come down to college. <laughs> you, you know, but, you know, because of that, you know, I ended up, you know, getting out of there or whatever that chick ended up dropping out like two months later um you, you know or whatever because she started really bad mouthing me and you know it was crazy but um you know I ended up getting like a single dorm room for the whole you know rest of my freshman year you know the residential director always checked on me periodically and I'll never forget like when it was the end of the year or whatever because I made I made dean's list um, you, you know, at that time, the residential director was like, you know, I know you had a rough first semester and then some, you know, are, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And I never forget this residential director was this real tall statuesque lady, like a Megan Thee Stallion, real tall statuesque type. And she was like, with all due respect, she was like, I got really scared of your mother. She was like, I didn't realize how short she was, but she was like, she cursed me and the whole directors and assistants out. <laughs> and I was like, that's how my mom is. She will protect a child. It's like a, a, a bear that's protecting their cub. Mm. Yeah, nah, you, you know, and in her eyes, I was like bro. her prized possession. You, right. you understand mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So that was one of like the best memories ever because it goes to show like as a parent, you're going to do whatever it takes to make your child happy, mm -hmm. right? And despite her sickness, and that's why I felt like it was a beautiful memory, despite her sickness, one that she shouldn't have drove, she shouldn't yeah. have done any of that stuff, <laughs> but she did. Yeah. Thank God I was only in Jersey City at the time, so it was only about 20-minute drive. <laughs> but, you, you know, it, it just showed, like, true tenacity, right? It showed true resilience because it was like, yo, 
I'm going to suck up this sickness real quick for my child because mm-hmm. I want my child to be happy. Mm-hmm. And as I got older, I realized that she was in so much pain, but she never wanted to show it to me because she wanted to make sure that she got me to a certain point. Because she, you know, I have an older brother. We're nine and a half years apart. So she saw his whole college experience because he went to an HBCU. She saw all of that. So she wanted to just try to see me through at least that first year, that first year and a half. And I knew deep down she stayed alive just for me just to see that last little chapter. You, you understand what I'm saying? And I didn't realize that until you get older. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. Sorry, Mal, go ahead. Yeah, that was, that was no, awesome. no, I just want to say, Jean, you know, I love you, sis. And, you know, I remember your mom fondly. I remember pulling up to the house and hanging out. And, you know, she always had that one eye on me, like, yo, y'all friends, like you over here checking on my daughter. Um, but, you know, she was always nice and open and warm and receptive. And, like, it was never a time that we came over to hang out that she ever made me feel like I wasn't welcome, right? Like, you know, I already had a relationship with your pops to a certain extent, but like, I distinctly remember the first time coming to your house and meeting your mom and like, like, I love this woman. Like, she's amazing. A and B, I 100% see where Jean gets it from. Um, You know what I mean? Jean was a firecracker since I met her and like her mom brought it, bro. Like she was short too, like Jean, but she brought it. Um, But she was always, she was loving, yo, right? Like if, if she had to hold you accountable, if she did say something to you, you don't have to question where it came from. You know, it was coming from a good place. It was coming from an authentic place. Um, and so, yeah, Jean, man, I love you, sis. I, I'm, I'm glad you decided to come on today to share your experience because I think it, it was needed. Um, and to hear it, you know, from you as you continue to process these things um, is important. And so the last question that we have for you, you know, as we kind of like round it out, what have you learned about yourself through the grief and grieving process? So, you know, as you've gone through these different stages and probably going back and forth through several of them, what have you learned about yourself as you stand here or I should say sit here today? Hmm. I think, you know, what I learned is recognizing the emotions, Um, you know, growing up and, you know, even, you know, in your twenties, you know, whatever, you know, you're still learning about yourself. Right. So for me, I, I used to be one of those where it was like, I didn't like to show my emotions or really talk about certain things that were touchy, right? So, you know, as you know, I continue to grow and whatever, you know, I learned to accept that it is okay, you know, to express yourself. It is okay to talk about it. You know, there's different ways to, you know, express yourself, you know, um, making sure that people can acknowledge that, you know, you're not okay, right? Um, you know, telling them certain signs, you know, when you know that the depression is going to knock on your door, right? Because that's a reality. Depression does knock on your door. Um, You know, and I can be the first to admit, I know when my depression is going to kick in because it's usually around the winter time in December because my mom passed in January. So, you, you know, it's about, you know, being able to recognize that, making sure that, you know, you, you tell your friends, because like if, if you're, you know, one of those like me that are like naturally social, you're always moving and grooving and slowly you not, they not seeing that move and groove and you being quiet and you're normally not one of them quiet type, you, you know what I'm saying? Making sure that people know that, know those triggers, know, know what that looks like. So then they can be there for you because sometimes when you're in that state, you know, of that depression, right? You may not want to talk to nobody. You know, you may just want to isolate. 
or, you know, for some people with depression, they're very irritable. And I know for me, I get irritable. I have zero patience. You, you know, I'll still work and handle my business, you know, whatever, but I'll, the patience isn't always there. And I'm naturally a patient person. You can ask Malcolm or else I wouldn't be in the profession that I'm in, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> naturally a patient mm-hmm. person, naturally an empathetic person, a sincere, you know, compassionate person. But sometimes, like I said, when that depression starts knocking, like, hey, hey, we here, it's December, we here, you, you know, <laughs> being able to kind of recognize that and let your people know, be like, yo, man, you already know December, January, a little bit of a rough time. I may need a little bit of extra hugs, may need just a little bit of love. Um, you know, I also think that, you know, besides just understanding like the stages of grief, understanding that a part of grief is sometimes people engaging in risky behavior, right? And sometimes those risky behaviors would be promiscuity, right? Abusing drugs and alcohol. And sometimes people don't want to talk about that, but that also occurs too. So being able to recognize those things. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate the fact that like, as you continue to evolve as a person and understand yourself better, but also understand your grief and loss in regards to your mom specifically better, you have become a lot more more vocal, right? Like, you know, it was it was absolutely a touchy subject. I don't think you and I really talked about your mom passing away for years, right? Like we would talk about everything but that specifically. Um, And now, you know, like you said, when it, Allison and I are both acutely aware when it hits December, like, yo, checking on Jean, how's Jean doing? Like, I got it. Your, your mom's um, transition date in my phone and my calendar just to show you love. Like, I know that that's going to be a tough day for you. And so, you know, I, I definitely appreciate the fact that you have communicated what you need, right? Because what you said earlier is super important. Sometimes you just got to ask too, right? Like, yo, I don't know 100% how to support somebody all the time through what they're going through, but it's important that they know you're there and that you're available. Maybe they don't need you, right? Or if you do see, yo, they drinking a lot more this time of year, A, don't come at it like, yo, you drinking too much because that's not going to help at all, right? But like, hey, I've, I've noticed that, you know, you was drinking that Henny, like, talk to me, what's going on? Like, I, I know that this is a tough time of year for you. I know Henny's your thing but like how at me I'm always here to talk and so Jean like I said man I love you sis you know I'm always um just amazed that your ability to continue to self-reflect and find different deeper levels of self um and like you're one of the few people that I see continue to evolve in that regard and you know maybe it is partially because you're in the social work realm and like that's what you studied and like so maybe it gives you some insight but I also just feel like that's who you are as a person um and like your your spirit is just so bright but I'm just glad that again you've learned when to ask for help because I know you hate asking for help you you miss I don't need the help I don't need nah that's what you got all these people around absolutely and and I appreciate that you know as as black women right you know we are like taught like you got to be the strong independent don't rely on men, don't do X, Y, and Z, right? Because you can do it yourself, which you can. But at the same time, sometimes we do need that balance where it's like, yeah, you got all this, you can do it yourself, but it's okay to have that extra support right there too. And I always say it's all, it's, it's good to have a plan A, B, and C. So that's how I look at it. Plan A is yourself. Plan B is your friends. 
Plan C could be your family. Plan D could be your therapist, right? And that's how I see things. It's all about just having different connections. And I hate to use this word because I ain't trying to be clinical right now, but, you know, just having different like types of coping skills, right? Mm -hmm. Having friends, having family, being able to journal or, you know, being able to look at devotions, right? Because I like to look at devotions, you, you know, as well. I like to, you know, also look at, you know, motivational videos, right? Mm -hmm. Or, or getting motivational quotes. I'm one of those because that keeps me grounded. I may not be depressed at that time, right? But sometimes, you know, you might just need that boost. Mm -hmm. And I think Absolutely. sometimes when you do lose a loved one, when their anniversary or their birthdays pop up, each year is different. It's not gonna be mm -hmm. the same. Some years are better than others. Right. You, you know, and you take it for how it is. One year, I'm cool, I'm coasting, da 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 The other year, I could just be like crying, saying, get the goddamn couch, you know, get me five mimosas, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all, all that stuff. And that's okay, right? Because at the end of the day, you still have to reflect. And I, I've yeah. always been, you know, one of those people, even though I used to struggle sometimes with communicating, I always still reflected, yeah. you, you know, in one way, shape, or form. And, you know, I think reflecting gives you a peace of mind and sometimes right. reflecting you don't even have to tell people hey man i'm trying to reflect on this sometimes right. it's just your own personal thoughts mm -hmm. you know and i Absolutely. think that's okay and i think that we have to you know reinforce those things and i think by reinforcing reflection that starts young right started off young because you know as a social worker and working with a lot of our black males or a lot of our young black females they don't know how to do that. So yeah. that's why they're always in this rage, right? Yeah. They don't know how to express themselves in, self, in different ways. Nobody's saying that you got to talk verbatim like this, but if you know that you like to rap or you like to do poetry, express it that way. You, you understand what I'm saying? Because, yeah. you know, it's, it's a sad thing to see these kids that can't really express themselves because you're seeing these kids nowadays that have a lot of grief and loss at a very early age. I, mm -hmm. I never forget, I had this, um, this kid I worked with, one of my babies, he used to give me hell, but he was my favorite. Um, he lost his dad to the streets. His dad was heavy in the drug game, you know, whatever in Patterson. I don't know if y'all familiar with Patterson, but Patterson yeah. is, is very rough, yeah. very, very rough. Yeah. Um, so I do case management and, you know, um, he lost his dad, um, you, you know, to gun violence. You, you know, in the streets. And, um, you know, he was, you know, doing a lot of risky behavior similar, uh, you, you know, to his father, you know, selling drugs, you know, trying to look fresh, but still in school though. Brother was still in school. Brother still did his therapy sessions. This is how mm -hmm. funny he is, right? Brother still used to do his therapy sessions and I made sure he had a black male therapist on purpose or, or whatever. But, you know, I never forget, you know, we had to have like this big meeting because unfortunately, you know, he was considered a juvenile. He had like a lot of stuff, pending records, you know, all, all that stuff, court involved kid, um, you, you know, to say the least. And, um, you know, it got to the point where unfortunately, you know, he, he had to turn himself in or else he was gonna get in really, really big trouble, um, you, you know, or whatever. So, you know, we had to have like this very big meeting and, 
you know, he was naturally like a quiet kid. He was very manable, polite. You never had to worry about any type of disrespect with him. Now, when he was in the streets, that's something different. When he was around the kids, that was something different. Brother had balls. So, you, you know, but I will never forget, like, he just couldn't express himself at all at that meeting. And then one big blurb came out or, or whatever. And, you know, sometimes, and this is where, you know, Tim, I agree with people needing to know how to be empathetic. You have some of these other heavy hitters that are, you know, in the field and trying to talk, 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 and you're not letting this kid just kind of reflect, let him have a moment. Hmm. And that's what I'm saying. You got to teach these kids at an early age that it's okay to reflect or to take a moment, even if you have to be like, yo, I, I just need five minutes before I answer this question, or can I just go step out and drink some water or something? Because if you don't, then you're gonna see all this anger and they don't even mean to display it because sometimes yeah. they're not really angry. It's just how it comes out. Right. And I can relate to that because when I lost my mom, sometimes it would come out that way. Even though I really wasn't angry, it's like, yo, you just did something, you know, I'm just going through this. So it's really about understanding and managing and identifying your emotions and also just learning specific coping skills in terms of how you need to deal. Right. You, you yeah. know, and I, that's why, you know, for me as a social worker, I always made sure you know, that I, you know, enforce, yo, I'm going to ask you some heavy questions. You need a moment, go, go step out and take a moment, brother. You want me to get you some Dunkin' Donuts? Let's go to Dunkin' Donuts. Take a moment. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Because that's how we get to the root, Yeah. you know, of things, you, yeah. you know, and I can, you know, truly get it. And these kids go through way more stuff than I think we've ever gone through. Right. Yeah. At such right. an early age, there's so much, they're, they're exposed to so much more. Yeah, absolutely. You know, which which is very sad, right? Especially within our black community. Mm -hmm. You know, you you know these kids are seeing their their dads, their cousins being shot at four or five years old. You, you know, in mm. in broad daylight, and you're you're trying to you know teach a little kid the five stages of grief. Like, come on, right? You you understand what I'm saying? So you know, just making sure that you know kids know that it's okay to just take a step back and just reflect start that stuff early i can't i can't stress it enough because it, it it shows in these kids demeanors you know let them know that hey man it's okay to express yourself if you don't want to talk write it down draw it do poetry wrap it up sing it out do something because you don't want you know all this stuff to be so bottled up where then they say certain things that just come up where it's like oh man you need to go to a psych hospital you, you understand mm -hmm. what i'm saying because sometimes mm -hmm. when when those big things come out because it's been pent up for so long. You're like, oh man, we got to take him into crisis. Yeah. And unfortunately I had that type of kid where he blurted out, I just want to die, even though mm. he really didn't. But it was like, I'm out in the streets on purpose. I might as well die like my, my dad did. Mm. And that's literally what he told, he told me. And then everybody's like, no, he got to go to crisis. I'm like, no, he's not going to go to crisis. Right now. Let, let him speak, give him a moment. Right. You, yeah. you understand what I'm saying? took the homie outside. I was like, come on, man, let's, let's go for a walk, brother. You, you know what I'm saying? And then he was really able to express what he really felt right. because he needed a moment. <laughs> right. And that's what I'm saying. Reflecting is important no matter how you do it, whether it's for two minutes, whether it's later down the line, whatever. Try to just incorporate those skills early on for these kids, man, because yeah. it's tough. Yeah. And believe it or not, it impacts them as adults. Absolutely. Without a, and and it's funny that you said that because I was thinking like there's so many adults that can't self-reflect right 
Like there's so many adults that can't go through that process. And so they can't really teach their kids to do it because they're not doing it. They're not taking that moment, that break, doing the work of figuring out who they are and what they believe in and, and figuring out how do they process things. And so ultimately for them, they're teaching their kids to knee jerk react to stuff because the kid is watching you. Right. And like, you know, we talk a lot about parenting and, and Tim and I had a multi-episode arc around the gun violence here in Philadelphia and like emotional regulation. Like we've talked about so many of these things, but it's like kids see what you do. They hear Absolutely. what you say, but they're really watching what you do. Right. right. And, and so, they mimic everything and they exactly. mimic everything. Everything is like a sponge. Yeah. And, you know, I, I tell anybody, any child that has witnessed any type of domestic violence, community violence, make sure that you intervene ASAP, because when they hit adulthood and it's never managed, they can't be that great person to somebody in their relationship because it impacts mm. them so bad and they don't even realize it. Same thing even when you know, you're know you grieving. If, if you're not at a decent space, how can you sometimes be with somebody else mm -hmm. if you're not at a decent mental space? Right. Yeah. That's a Nobody's fact. saying you gotta be perfect. I'm using the word decent. Right. <laughs> like the bare minimum without yeah, a Yeah, like a little, little, little something, you know what right. I mean? So. Absolutely. And so, you know, Tim, I know that as we close out, you wanted to um, take us through uh, like a, a practice or a process. And so, yeah, man, I'm going to turn it over to you, my brother. Yeah. So I, first, I want to just um, thank you, John, today for just being vulnerable with us. One Absolutely. of the things that oh, we, yeah, one of the things on our show is a foundation built in vulnerability, safe vulnerability yeah. at that, but vulnerable, meaning these experiences we share when we when we come on this show, especially with grief and loss and like yeah. bounce in our city, um, it's heavy. It's been heavy for a year and a half, almost two years now. Okay. So just like the ability to share and be vulnerable and be open with what we're dealing with, we know for sure um, through feedback <laughs> that we've been told, like it, it, the healing is happening, right? So that's a beautiful episode, thing, right? This episode, the healing's gonna be happening. Um, it happened for me as you were sharing the story around um, your mom and, and and what she did as far as like having your back, because that made me remember something my aunt did having my back, right? Having to deal with people, especially at a young age, with not you know knowing how to deal with people. My aunt was like, "No, I got this. Fall back. You know, mm -hmm. you go sit down. I got this." Right? So that connection right there just just really reminded me of how special a person she was. And how she had my back, and and so that's that's healing. We need to hear these things more often than we do around like just you know those connections and those relationships. So I just want to thank you for that because I I truly appreciated that that memory you had, and just for me it, it I had that 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 vibrating feeling of just like that connection. Like yeah, I remember my aunt did something like that for me. I appreciate it. So thank you for that um for that story. Um, as we wrap up this two-part series, we just, you know, we felt it was important that we talk about grief, we talk about loss, that we talk about, in part one, we talked about the pandemic, how it's changed our life forever, you know, mm -hmm. and all the changes that we've had to endure. We talked about losing loved ones. And so um, I just had a couple of statements of acceptance that I wanted to share that we take, uh, you know, as we wrap up this series. And just really, these statements are 
in alignment with the grieving process, um, with acknowledging grief. I think the main thing is awareness and acknowledgement that I could take away from all of this, right? Is not running away from the emotional um, response, but really just embracing it, understanding how to embracing it, and then imploring others to support you through embracing it. The right kind of others, right? I always put those caveats when I say things because it's important because not yeah. everybody can help you in these yeah. situations. Some people, you know, can can make it worse. So we have to understand the resources and supports we got. So we implore the right kind of support in those yeah. situations. So there's just a, a couple of them I just want to take us through to today. Um, so first thing I want to do is just, you know, just ask us to clear our minds just to like really get comfortable. Um, if you're listening, you want to close your eyes as I say these words, that's fine. You don't have to, but um, just something to really, when you close your eyes, it helps you to get centered and it helps, helps you to be still a little bit more. Uh, the first statement I have is, um, may I fully face life and death, loss, and sorrow. May I be open to pain and grief. May I find the inner strength to be present for my sorrow. May loving kindness sustain me. May I accept my sadness knowing that I am not my sadness. May I accept my human limitations with compassion. May I forgive myself for not meeting my loved one's needs. May I forgive myself for mistakes made and things left undone. May sorrow show me the way to compassion. May I be open with others and myself about my experience of suffering and loss. May I receive love and compassion from others. May I find peace and strength that I may use my resources to help others. May all those who grieve be released from their sorrow. And so um, just wanted to share those statements because it's, it's important that we, as we grieve, we acknowledge how we're feeling and we acknowledge others, right? And John, you, you said it best and I, I'm like the idea of a village, right? Um, grieving, while it is an individual process should not be an isolated process, right? The village is important. Understanding, again, the right kind of supports, understanding where your supports are, where folks you can lean on and, and, and you know, folks you can lean on and you can lean on them and they can lean on you. That reciprocal process is a beautiful thing. And so it's important that we, we understand where we have those supports at and where we don't you know, we, we, we got to guard our energy. We got to protect our energy and make sure we're around the right people. And somebody who may be in your life might not have all the resources or skills to help you through that moment. And that's okay. So you go to where the support can be, but um, isolation is the enemy that we're trying to fight, especially as a community. We need to fight isolation. We need to fight the thought of isolation, the thought of aloneness, or loneliness, we need to fight those thoughts and, and those feelings because those are the things that drive it towards that depression and that sadness. So just wanna encourage us to, to continue to do like John said and be that village for each other, be a support system, identifying support systems and just sharing empathy and compassion and appreciation for those support systems as you know we grieve and as we um, 
we celebrate the loss of loved ones that we have in our lives. So that's all I really want to share. John, again, thank you. Um, love you, sis. Uh, that's another thing that we we pride ourselves on and mind your mentals is telling each other as, as Black folk, we love each other. I just met you today, but I love you, sis. I love you for your strength. I love you for, you know, your courage. I love you for your insight and your intellect. And I just love the relationship that you have with your mom and acknowledging the impact she has on your life. So I, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on. Today. I appreciate it too. I'm going to give y'all a heart. Hold on. I know y'all can't. I'm a little short. Hold on. That's my heart. It's a little crooked, y'all, but that's my heart right there. Hey, John, yeah, you know, you already know how I feel about you. You know, I love you, sis. Um, just eternally grateful to have had you in my life this long and for you to have been a support and, you know, you know, the role that you played in and then getting me and Allison together and holding <laughs> me accountable through the whole process and, and being a, a listening and sympathetic ear whenever I needed you. Um, and so, you know, I'm just grateful to have you as my sister and just to to know you and to Tim's point, you know, just to the all of the amazing things and attributes that you have. But the one that I always go back to is that you're just a real person. Right. And like you are just an amazing human being. And so um, just, again, grateful to see you evolve and, and continue to own your space and own your process and, and really continue to get to know who you are. Um, and, and as we get older, it's like, you know, we all continue to get closer to that fun, like foundational, fundamental understanding of self. And so, you know, I love you, Joan. You already know how I feel about you. Um, love you right back, on. big homie. I, I appreciate you letting me come on. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm i very proud of you with this whole, I guess, podcast. I hope I'm saying it right. It's you, a podcast. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not the greatest with that. Still learning about it. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you. And I, I love yeah. seeing Black people just elevating, you, yeah. you know. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, any so I was gonna say I'm gonna rough you up the next time I see you, because um, you know I gotta I gotta rumble you a little bit because you be you know you like to talk. To me. <laughs> um, but yeah, all jokes aside, any last words that you want to share with the folks before we log out? Um, you know, take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, understand that it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Understand that you know it's okay to feel. Cause I struggled with that for a long time. Cause I didn't, mm-hmm. I don't like to feel, or, you know, for some people sit in your feelings, if you don't like to sit in them, just acknowledge it. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and just always understand that, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. Yeah, man. I appreciate you, Jean. Tim, you already know, I love you, my brother. Um, this has just been such a great journey that we've gone on and continue to go down this pathway and excited for what we have coming up in store and season two coming soon and you know Let's all of the go things season two. And hold, hold on and, and a little brief preview we got a little something preview. coming for the preview people coming. Yeah. okay <laughs> coming. i'm gonna need it's that shirt in a pink listen it's pink. on the it's on the way we got okay. you um but yeah you know again thank you to everybody that's listening and, and that has been a part of this journey as well um if all of the great feedback for people saying that like this show has made an impact on them and that they share with other people that need the information and need the guidance, you know, that's huge for Tim and I because that just reiterates that we're doing the right thing and we're doing it the right way. And mm-hmm. so as always, thank you for listening to another episode of the Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. Stay present, stay positive, peace. Thank you as always for listening to an episode of Mind Your Mentals podcast featuring Tim and Mal. 
If you'd like to reach out to us, you can always contact us through our Gmail account at mindyourmentalspodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us through our website, mindyourmentals.com. That's M-I-N-D-Y-A-M-E-N-T-A-L-S.com. Also, please make sure to follow us on all of our social media pages. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn at Mind Your Mentals Podcast featuring Tim and Mal. On Twitter at Mind underscore Ya, that's Y-A underscore Mentals. And on Instagram at M-Y-M Podcast. As always, we really appreciate you. Stay present, stay positive, stay focused on your mental health. And if you ever need anything from us, don't hesitate to reach out.